Hello and welcome to the Bunkerzilla Film Roar here at Bunkerzilla UK, the place where we digest the latest movie news and movie reviews. I'm your host, Ian Bolton, and I am joined as always by my cinematic partner in crime, and he's in person in our garden once again. It's Christian R. Allen. Hello, Christian. Hello, real life Ian Bolton. That was a very smooth opening. I appreciate that. Ah, smooth. Smooth like jazz. That was smooth like jazz, deep jazz. You were the um that was one take as well. Yes, I like. always I always mess this up. <laughs> yeah, normally it's around about the tenth, eleventh attempt. Like. It's like welcome to the Bunkerzilla film raw. The worst thing is I try not to look at you because I I'm awful and I just try to distract you with my smirky face. Like I'm doing it right now. <laughs> like, but no, well done, well done. I think we can if we end the podcast now, would have um it would probably be our best episode. Well, goodbye, everyone. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're, we're here for a little bit. Oh. But, but uh, yes, welcome to the show. And obviously, Christian, how are you doing good, sir? I just got caught off guard drinking a light beer. Apologies for that. Um, I'm very good. It's, it's nice to, again, it's nice to uh, get out of my hometown. Yes, um, for the benefit of our listeners, obviously, we are still engaging in social distancing. Um, thankfully, Ian's garden is larger than the uh, village I actually live in. So, um Hey, what you don't realise is Ian is actually half a kilometre away. He's just got very long cables. Hello! Hello! We're, we're communicating <laughs> with Sophomore. Is it? Is it Sophomore? The, the flags? Oh, I was going with smoke signals. Smoke signals. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, but yes, of course, we are doing good social distancing. So basically, we are one in length apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you are... In fact, the government has been using your body as a, as a demonstration of how to keep away. If you're one Ian Bolton length away, that means you're safe. Because <laughs> yeah, obviously there's discussions whether or not we're going to be half an Ian away from each other go following next week. Ooh. Like, uh, ooh, uh, ooh. Like, is that from the crown of your head to the waistline or the uh, waistline to the sole of your foot? Probably from the head to the hip. Head to the hip, yeah. That like, means I've got really long legs. You've got, you got tiny legs, but a really long body. <laughs> <laughs> His legs are around about, what, I'd say 40 centimetres in total. It's like, it's like, it's like a Deadpool 2, 2 when he's just got the little baby legs. Plus, I don't know why I'm looking at my leg and trying to size it up now. But there's a moment in your eyes like, I think Christian is being facetious, but I need a check in case I really do have in- inexplicably tiny legs. I mean, you are, the, you are my tallest friend, so the idea of you having tiny legs does amuse me greatly. But no, I, I can assure listeners that Ian is proportionately normal for such a giant freak of a man. I'll take that. Take that. That's the closest thing to a compliment I've ever thrown your way. I'll take that. I'll take that. How do you, how do you feel having me as such a short friend? Like, do you, do you have the urge just to rest your drinks on my head? Well, you do make a really good tabletop. <laughs> you just you look down, you notice I'm there. I'm like, oh. I was like, hold my beer. Like, <laughs> Ow! I mean, I've got a perfectly flat head as well, so mm. that's also good. But how has your cinematic uh, lifestyle been in the, the last uh, couple of days since the last episode? Yes, um, so I've attempted to watch a few films and things have gone wrong, so I'm only halfway through watching uh, Akira Kurosawa's um, iconic Seven Samurai. Oh, yes. Yeah, so like, I'll let you know next week my f- opinions on the film. I'm just at the intermission. Uh, I get the impression it's building up to a rather epic confrontation, which I'm looking forward to. Mm. And I spent the whole of yesterday trying to watch Predator, but my Blu-ray copy kind of died. I thought you had a copy of it on 4K, a physical copy, so I was hoping to borrow that. No. And, uh, no, you've got it digitally. So damn you. Damn digital. It's, it's all about the physical releases, man. I mean, I like physical releases, but... Basically, if it's a film that I don't necessarily 
desire to have as a disc, I will go. I will look at it digital. You didn't desire to own a physical copy of Predator, the third best Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Terminator Two, True Lies, it's Commando. Better than, it's better than oh, it's better than Commando and True Lies, which I and I do love those films. It goes it goes T two, T one, Predator. True Lies, Commando, and then Jingle All the Way, obviously, followed by <laughs> Batman and Robin. <laughs> oh. True Lies is very good. Yeah. I, I think it's it's a bit obviously it's a bit awkward of the whole. Um, oh look, everyone who's uh, Middle Eastern is clearly the villain. Um, it's probably the archetypal because <laughs> mm. it was it's interesting. It's a it's a it's a it's a hot major Hollywood movie where the villains are um, Islamic terrorists, but this is predates nine eleven. Like um, so yeah, it was it was ahead of the head of the curve for all the wrong reasons. But if you can ignore that, it's a bloody it's a bloody fun movie. I mean, it's ridiculous. Mm. Um, but you know, ah, uh, it's just like oh, my horse, he's getting tired. <laughs> <laughs> it, it now, thanks to John Wick three, it's the second best horse sequence in the history of action in <laughs> cinema. <laughs> Right. Uh, any other any other films? Or? Yes, um, I watched. Um, I revisited Jurassic Park for the first time since I was a child, oh. and um, it made me appreciate just how bad Jurassic World is. I, I genuinely think the special effects of Jurassic World, um, Jurassic Park, sorry, are better from 1993. I mean, probably because of the use of animatronics. Oh yeah, yeah and, um, definitely animatronics. I think the color palette of the film helps as well. There's a more natural tone to this, the weird blues of the Jurassic World movies. But mm. I, I, I felt convinced by the, the um, by the T-Rex and the Velociraptors more. I mean, obviously there's it's clever filmmaking involved. Probably what Spielberg. <laughs> it was probably like, um, it was probably, um, reliving this nightmare on Jaws. We talked about that last week, obviously, like the fact that you know, the animatronics didn't work. But um, yeah, the, there are moments where I, I find the Velociraptor, the, the condensation of his, or her, sorry, her breath on the window far more effective than any of the CGI um, um, dinosaurs in the um, in the Chris Pratt movies. I, I, I realised just ignoring the dinosaurs, the characters are far more fleshed out and engaging um, then any, I, I, I just think, I think everything, everything in Jurassic World f- feels really two dimensional to me. While in Jurassic Park, even if you didn't have the dinosaurs, it'd still be a good movie. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, it's 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 interesting. People keep thinking like, what 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 causes the theme park to um, you know to fail? Is it the dinosaurs? No, it's human corruption. Which is exactly what happened. <laughs> but no, it 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 it, it staggers me. Just what a year Steven Spielberg had in nineteen ninety three. Mm. Like he released Schindler's List and Jurassic Park, most one of the most critically acclaimed films of all time, and and it was the most commercially successful film of all time, Jurassic Park. Um, just like how how is a film? I don't think he's, I, I I think yeah I don't think he's been able to top those two movies. Maybe Saving Private Ryan, but um he I feel certainly like he peaked in the early nineties there. I mean, like, what what incredible films. Can mm. you think of anything else? Spielberg-wise? Yeah. Ooh. Cause, uh, yeah, because you mentioned that. I was kind of pondering, like, have there been any films after Jurassic Park that have lived, that have sort of had that same wave of success, as well as, obviously, Schindler's List. Obviously, Saving Private Ryan, from a critical standpoint, mm. clearly big. Was it, a, was it a big blockbuster smash? I think it was a hit. I would say it was a hit. It certainly... It certainly um, it impacted audiences in general. I mean, the interesting thing about Saving Private Ryan is the response from vets, mm. um, sort of the, you know, the what was it, the, the, the grey grey dollar 
or silver dollar. Um, the, the thing that was really fascinating is that it would, in general, um, surviving vets from the Normandy landings would say it was the most a it was the most accurate in terms of appearance, but also the sound, the the sort of the, the use of sound, sort of the um, particular surround sound effects and the bullets, the noise the bullets make, were just absolutely spot on of the horror of that invasion. That's not to say I've disliked um, Spielberg movies since then. I mean, he's still obviously a great filmmaker, but I mean, it's, it's definitely more. I've been more disappointed in his output since since the early nineties. I I really didn't take to. Um... Oh no! Actually, I, I I tell you, like I really enjoyed Minority Report. Oh yeah, Minority Report was quite good. Yeah, but saying that, I really disliked AI artificial intelligence. Yeah, I I never saw the appeal of that, and I've never seen it, and it's simply because I, it just didn't it just didn't appeal to there, me. I mean, there were good things in it. That, I mean, Jude Law is excellent as the um, he plays a um, a male post- prostitute robot. And he, he is phenomenal in the performance. Um, and I, what's the name of the kid? The, the one from Sixth Sense? Hayley Joel. Joelsman. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. Yeah, Hayley Joelsman, um, obviously more more famous probably for the Sixth Sense. He He's very, very good in the role to the point where it's I found it too uncomfortable. <laughs> Just It's very disturbing, the, um, this, this soulless, artificial child mm. um yeah it just made me feel uncomfortable all the way through i mean obviously that was the intent i mean um, the reason it, this was meant to be a stanley kubrick movie but he, he held off production because he didn't think there would, it would be possible to cast a child in the role that could perform to that level and obviously spielberg found the right actor um after um kubrick's death mm. um spielberg taking a Kubrick project and directing it doesn't, doesn't really work because they, they are not complementary filmmakers at all. Um, well, I'd imagine you can kind while watching it, you can kind of tell which elements are Kubrickian, <laughs> if that's a word, Kubrickian nature, and which elements have Spielberg is injecting his, 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 you know, his, his typical family shtick mm. into the performance. And it's just, it's just a film that's too hot and too cold and it doesn't gel at all. And it's just very, I found it a very unsatisfying experience. Frustrating because I was really looking forward to watching it because I'm a huge Kubrick fan. And it was, I, I felt, I went into it believing this was Spielberg making a Kubrick movie, but it wasn't. It was Spielberg making a Spielberg and Kubrick movie. And yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, but yes, yeah, so aside from Minority Report, I, I wasn't I wasn't taken by um, War of the Worlds. I thought that was I think that was a waste of time. Yeah, I'm not uh, the biggest fan of War of the Worlds. No, um, I really I, I appreciate it. It was a massive hit. I really didn't like Ready Player One. Uh, it felt like it felt my problem with that film was it felt like Spielberg had never actually played a video game. Like the the only scenes that were effective were going back to Stanley Kubrick were the Shining scenes, mm. and they work because. Spielberg, obviously, he knows film, <laughs> oddly enough. But um, the, the whole gaming element of it just did not feel right at all as, a, um, as obviously as, as part of a generation that grew up with games. I think the, the two films of his I have enjoyed um, since the um, mid-90s, I really, really liked, were his two animations. I, I've, I really enjoyed the BFG. Um, I think that was underrated. I haven't seen the BFG. Oh no, I, I would recommend it. It's, I've, especially if you've got like, kids around and whatnot. Um, and another, I, I really, really, I loved the Adventures of Tintin, um, and I'm, I'm desperate for the two, the, the two follow-up movies because one's meant to be directed by Peter Jackson, mm. and I believe the third one is meant to be a collaboration between the two or Spielberg returning. It seems to, 
being a fan of Peter Jackson is frustrating because all his projects seem to be delayed <laughs> because he's too busy making other projects. Yeah. Same with like Gamal de Toro is exactly the same problem. Oh yeah. Um, um, I, I, as you were talking about Spielberg films, had a little look on the uh, the box office for Saving Private Ryan. So it had a domestic gross in the US of two hundred and sixteen million. Wow, uh, for a war movie that's massive. Internationally, though, it performed a little bit better, two hundred and sixty five million. So, so about half a billion altogether. Yeah, just just shy of uh, half half a billion. So about four hundred and eighty one million dollars worldwide gross. Wow, for, like, again for a war movie. That's incredible. So, yeah, I think we can comfortably say that that was a box office success <laughs> that, as well. That was a hit, definitely. Mm. Um, and I, I, I love Saving Private Ryan. I think that the, the opening half an hour in particular is incredible. I know. It was number one in the US for four weeks. Four weeks. And just remember, Shakespeare in Love is a better movie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Academy. Anyway, um, on my side, what have I been? Have I watched anything cinematic lately? Hmm. I don't think so. I've been I've been playing I've been playing more video games, I guess, during this period. So we've, there's a there's a new game that's come up, West of Dead, which is basically it's um, Switch, it's, isn't it? No, it's on Xbox as well. Oh, okay. Um, it's a Western dungeon shooter, but it's got Ron Perlman as the voice of the main character. Nice. In this sort of sort of deep sort of draw. Were you about to do a Ron Perlman impersonation? No, I can't do a Ron Perlman impersonation. <laughs> I'm not going to try because that voice is just far too cool and I, I would do it injustice. <laughs> but no, um, no, I've been enjoying that one. Uh, it's more like a you die, you go again, but each time you get a little bit better and then you die and you carry on again. But unlike other games in that sort of genre, like Enter the Gungeon, uh, I don't get as frustrated with level one <laughs> as, I, as I do with um, uh, West of Dead. So that one's not too bad. Um, anything else? No, not, not really off the top of my head, to be honest. It's like, well, that makes fascinating conversation for a film-themed yeah, podcast. Yeah, well, it's like so. I, I, I do quite a lot of other things for Bungazilla as well, so I've been sorting out articles and getting things ready on the website and looking after showrunners and all that sort of stuff. So, <laughs> Go on, shoehorn, shoehorn in some other projects. Go on. No, well, actually, um, no, I tell a lie. There is a film we can throw in. No, we can throw in two films. Um because Saturday night always seems to be family film night here. So last Saturday we watched uh, the second Jack Reacher film, uh, Never Go Back, which is all right. But is it, that Tom Cruise? That is Tom Cruise again, yeah. It leans more into the action element of Jack Reacher than, say, the mystery element. The first one did, and I think the first film is, is the better of the two. Um, and then there we had the fortune of watching A Skyscraper last night with Dwayne, with Dwayne the, Ro the Rock Johnson. Yep, he leapt from the crane just to fly into a building. And, and when did he lay the smack down on that skyscraper? Uh, did he give it the people's elbow? Not really, but he he, he sort of, he did a lot of Dwayne johnson -y stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what's a Dwayne johnson -y stuff? I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. But um, no, I, I remember seeing Skyscraper at the cinema and it was, it, it, it's an attempt to mesh Die Hard and The Towering Inferno into a modern film. It doesn't necessarily work. And most of it's come off more as a as a comical sense. There's a scene where uh, Dwayne is holding a bridge up with his bare strength. We're gripping two <laughs> iron cables and going, I'm holding the bridge up! Just as his wife, played by Neve Campbell, is placing a very thin plank of wood between said bridge and another bridge to go rescue one of their children. I mean, it's a prerequisite for any champion 
glad that they're able to do this. Otherwise, Vince McMahon's just not interested in you. Well, Hobbs and Shaw did show us that The Rock can oh also God, grip a truck film. and a helicopter at the same time. <laughs> he brought down a helicopter. That wasn't even the most. In, that wasn't even the most implausible moment of that film. <laughs> the most implausible thing about that film was that I watched that film. Mm. And you had a lovely time. Oh, I've never... I, ro- I rolled harder in my entire bloody life. Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, well. Are the other Fast and Furious movies just as bad? Well, I think they raced a submarine in number eight. <laughs> <laughs> on land, obviously. <laughs> no, in the ice caps. <laughs> so the submarine wasn't on land going... <laughs> just like <laughs> through like downtown Detroit or something. I think, there's, I think Fast and Furious... I think six has dune buggies in London. Yeah, we need to we need to watch those because we need to educate you in the world of Fast and Furious. We'll, we'll do. We'll, we'll have a major Fast and Furious marathon just so, for my benefit. Yeah, just before Fast Nine comes out. Is is so John Cena's the the villain of Fast Nine, right? He's the villain, but also the brother of Vin Diesel. What? I know. Okay. <laughs> so, Christian's mind has just been blown. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I I just so the Rock's not in line though. I'm not sure he's in nine. He was in. They will have to have a fight eventually, like because obviously they've only had two at mm. WrestleMania, so we need the rubber match. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Big box on the draw. I say obviously, like people listening to a film podcast are guaranteed to be wrestling aficionados. Obviously, you never know. You never know. You never know. They, they may have developed a passion for film by watching Mr. Nanny back in the day. Mm, yeah. Indeed. But anyway, let's crack on with the show. Let's start off with uh, news. Big news, obviously, for UK cinemas. We are having them reopened very, very soon. View is going to open on July 4th, Cineworld, and is opening on July 10th. At time of recording, Odin and Showcase are working towards early July as well. So that means you're going to have to pay for my unlimited card <laughs> when it comes back. Oh, joy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, cinemas are opening, which is a great thing. They're bringing in, obviously, lots of uh, new rules and regulations to obviously make sure the cinema-going experience is going to be safe and and lovely for all who go there. So there's going to be things like staggered uh, film times. So not a lot of films are going to go in at the same time now. So it'll probably be like a film maybe every 30 minutes or something like that going in, which means less performances. But you know what? That might actually increase more footfall through the door. Yeah. I mean, it's better than no performances, which we've had for the last four months. Yeah, this is true. Um, There's also going to be social distancing seating. So cinemas are working on seating plans for their screens to ensure families can sit together um, and uh, friends who want to go to the cinema together can also sit and enjoy the films in a socially distant and, um, what's the right word, uh, acceptable uh, condition as well. So, there's, I mean, I'm, I'm happy cinemas are reopening. Um, I think I need to see the thing in practice before I kind of... Well, make a judgment. Make a judgment. Yeah. Um, because obviously, the, the, well, the first big release that obviously I think both me and you will probably be wanting to see is, is Tenant on July 31st. Yeah. Because that is definitely coming out soon. So, in addition to cinemas reopening, the Film Distribution Association, the FDA, they've amassed a library of Hollywood classics and also indie hits, modern blockbusters. And this comes after talking to the studios, independent outfits, and event cinema operators. And what they've done is they've compiled a list of about 450 films which cinemas can choose to screen, any one of them, when they reopen to help sort of help uh, reignite the box office until we get into a steady rhythm of new releases coming out. Um, and this includes the films that were 
cut short of a cinema run as well. Because there's going to be Onward, Sonic the Hedgehog is going to return. Yep. Um, I uh, the ones off the top of my head. I mean, there's also Misbehaviour, Military Rives, uh, Trolls World Tour, uh, even uh, Emma as well. The, oh, yeah. yeah, Emma, full stop. Yep. And uh, even uh, the recent Oscar winners, Parasite, as well as classics such as Wizard of Oz, Casablanca, Lawrence of Arabia, Sound of Music. Um, I've I've tried to find a whole list of this 450 because I'm fascinated to know what's on this list. But uh, even things like uh, Back to the Future trilogy, Dark Knight trilogy, Matrix, Harry Potter, Fast and Furious, Hunger Games, Twilight, a lot of franchise movies are on this as well. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, I would say, for, for the independent cinema in the UK, this is kind of like, oh, we can kind of have a nice sort of... Um, retro rewind to some of the the big films of yesteryear yeah. and encourage people to come see them again on the big screen i mean it's, it it would be quite cool but um yeah i think the good thing is cinema's opening that's a great thing that's the yep. that's the news i think a lot of film fans have been waiting for a long time um i think the important thing as well is when cinema's open people actually go to the cinema and support them because they have obviously been hit by coronavirus so if they want their cinemas to carry on being in a cinema they really do need to support, especially the independent ones. Yeah. I mean, I, I, if, you've, if you've been listening for the last couple of months, you probably can tell I have not been impressed by the content produced you know, for streaming services. There's been a few films I've enjoyed, but overall, I think the quality is not not up there with major cinema releases. Mm. So it's been... It's, it's been... Yeah, it's been a tad disappointing. So I, I, I'm, I am looking forward to going back to going back to the silver screen. Um, I, I, I mean... My attitude towards coronavirus in general is, yeah, yes, we need to be safe and ensure that lives are protected, but we also need, it's a tricky balance because we need the economy to be strong because more people will die if the economy collapses than if we just allowed coronavirus to uh, run wild in society. Um, um, so yeah, this is this is good news for me. As, as again, I, I, will, I will reserve my final opinion until I, I'm actually in a cinema and I, I see how things are. Because if yeah. I'm if I'm too close to someone who's coughing and sneezing, I'm going to be very uncomfortable and, and unlikely to return. To be honest, mm. um, I I'm very excited by the distribution list. Um, to be, I mean, this is the way cinemas were up until the sort of dominance of home video release in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Anyway, so I mean, I'm quite excited. I mean. I'm, uh, last year, I, I, I randomly, just for going on Twitter, I discovered that my local cinema was re- replaying The Matrix. Which I, <laughs> I told my partner, and we, within five minutes, we were in the car heading towards Odeon, mm. and that was a great evening. So, like, I, I think there's a, I think there's a, a definitely an appeal from broader audiences to watch classics. And I think, although I'm not a big fan of them, I think Twilight will be popular, and the Harry Potter films definitely will be like. It's perfect for kids' club. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So I, I don't know why this this kind of thing wasn't available widely beforehand because it, it gets bums on seats. And that's what we, what we want, really, isn't it? I can shed light on that sort of thing from my experience working in the independent cinema mm-hmm. uh, chains um, in my uh, a few years back. And I used to be usually on every Monday we would be involved with getting the new film times ready for the film releases on Friday. Yeah. And this would involve liaising with the film booker who was designated to your cinema, who was in turn talking to the studios as well. And I was very lucky in uh, one time to go to the central office of the cinema chain I worked for and, and kind of observe how the whole film booking process happens on a weekly basis. And basically what it is, is it's a room of people sat at computers 
but they are constantly talking to not just the cinemas, they're talking to the film studios, but they're also negotiating with the film studios how many showings their films are going to get. So, for example, if you were Disney and you had the Avengers, for example, they would be saying, well, Disney want uh, your biggest screen all day, every day, and half of these performances, because 3D was a, was still a kind of a big thing back then, half those shows must be 3D. <laughs> but then... The, but then the cinema might turn around and say, well, we've seen from previous films that we haven't really performed well when we've put this in the big screen. Can we put it into a smaller screen? No, you put it in your big screen, please. Wow, I didn't or, realize... or, or, you, or you don't get the film. It's that simple. I did not realize how much of a strong hold um, the distributors had. Yeah. I mean, some, some distributors are quite, are, are quite relaxed, I guess, sometimes, because if they, if they see the film is performing and obviously new films are coming in and they understand that, those new films have to take priority. They'll probably say, "Oh, they usually go, oh yeah, we'll we'll do we'll, we can, we're happy with one show a day in a in a prime time evening slot. If you're happy with that, yeah, fine. There you go, film booked. Look, we'll send the print through, or we'll send through new digital keys if you have it on digital projectors, just so we can continue playing it. Um, and it's it's fascinating. I, I I really I really enjoyed doing the film times when I was working in the cinema because it was kind of like building the schedule that worked, which you felt worked for the audiences that were coming in. I even did a little bit when I was working in the multiplex uh, in High Wycombe because you would be going, right, so what's going to be the big film of the week? Right, we're going to give that one, say, the 8.30 showtime. So that's going to be slap bang in the middle. If, unless it's three, three hours plus, we'll put it back to eight o'clock. Prime real estate. Yeah. And then you're kind of going, right, what, what is this sort of film? What sort of audiences? Like, so if you look at something like a peer drama, you go, right, so the, the best audience for this is going to be the concession audience and they're not going to want to stay out too late. So we'll bring that in. We'll start that at maybe 7.30, maybe start that towards eight o'clock or something like that. And then you kind of, you kind of pop around. So obviously if you have something like, um, like a horror film, for example, you would go for like very late on. So maybe nine, just a little bit after nine, that sort of thing. Just so, you know, you kind of spaced it out. But and that I, I generally enjoy that. I think that was one of the tasks in my cinema working career that I just loved doing. And it was just kind of just taken to it like a duck to water and just kind of build the schedule that I felt suited the audiences that were bringing in. Um, I'm not sure that's changed in any sort of way for anyone listening who does film booking for their cinemas or stuff like that now. I don't know how, how it much it changed. Didn't, it didn't feel that way when I worked for the, uh, the major, I worked for Cineworld and it felt very top down. Mm. Like, I don't, I don't feel like there was, to be honest, I mean... <laughs> None of, the, none of the managers I had are even there anymore. Um, I didn't feel like the managers did much work at all. <laughs> so, I mean, when I was working for the independent chains, um, the nice thing about doing the film booking or the film times with the film book is you got to speak with the film booker and the film booker would you'd be able to sort of like have normal sort of film 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 uh, film themed conversations. So you kind of going, oh, I like this film. I was like, yeah, I like this film too, but we can't play it because it's not going to work for us. It's like, okay, fine. Do you have any recommendations? Well, we could do this. Yeah, all right, we'll give that a go. We'll get you a copy of the film sent over. So um, I think I managed to get a, a screen of Akira sorted uh, um, uh, back in the day. And it was mostly because all the other cinemas in the, in the chain were showing it and we were one of the ones that weren't. And I kind of just went, can you let us have the show in and I will try and get at least half a screen in there. And I did. I managed to get at least I managed to get at least about forty to forty five out of a ninety seater screen in there. So I was quite really? chuffed for with the that. area the area in that surprises yeah. me. Oh well yeah. done. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that was because I, I 
heavily promoted it on social media and stuff like that. And we were doing... Oi, nerds! Yeah. <laughs> and also there was a time where I, I was actually doing on-screen adverts. I was sort of creating the on-screen adverts to go on the digital projectors. And I, had, I was very fortunate to have software that allowed me to build those sort of DCP packages. But we were able to kind of do it like we just sort of embed it in the trailer real so basically if it didn't if we didn't have a proper trailer for it we just kind of had an a, like an animated slide of hey akira showing on this night tickets now available ask the box office more information bring your kids if they're over 15 <laughs> 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 that sort of stuff but yeah it's like generally generally those sort of things are the stuff that i love doing in the cinema i generally love doing it and it's and it's like i, I look back and it's like it's a shame I'm, I'm not part of the cinema industry anymore but you never say never i can always return in, in the near future who knows bring me along let me be the projectionist I can just <laughs> press play that's uh, how it's done now <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe another time I'll tell you the fun 35mm uh, lace up stories that I have but uh, <laughs> we'll, save, we'll save, that, save those for another day save those for another day so yeah so the big news Cinemas are starting to reopen soon in the UK, which is really, really good, really great. Love to hear your thoughts on the on the proposed new plans and even that list of 450 films. If you know anything about that, uh, do let us know. Filmroar at bunkerzilla.co.uk is the place to contact us. Also, let us know if you have any dream films you'd love to see. Oh, yes. Uh, cinema. I mean, yeah. they're not, we're not going to get any 20th Century Fox ones anytime soon, obviously. Mm. Thank you, Disney. But uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Cool. Right, let's crack on with reviews. I'm going to start off with a mini bite-sized review and it's about a delightful little sheep called Sean. This is Sean the Sheep, Farmageddon. Here's a clip. Sean's back, but there's a new arrival in town who's a little alien. <laughs> Right, Sean the Sheep, uh, the second film, because he's already been at the cinema before, and uh, this tells of uh, the sheep coming into contact with an extraterrestrial uh, visitor from the stars, and uh, they become the best of friends, but obviously they have to get the alien friend home, and uh, hijinks ensue, especially <laughs> with the farm, and of the local government agency wanting to uh, find aliens for scientific testing, all that jazz. So um, I think the best way to describe Sean the Sheep, uh, Farmageddon, is it is your typical alien movie by the numbers, I guess. So a fam family alien thing film by the numbers. Yeah, it's basically, if, if, it was just, if I was just to say to you, imagine Ardman making E.T., that's that's the film. Yeah, spot on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it, it feels very much as if they came up with the pun title first and then wrote the film around it. Because this is the best named film I've ever watched. Farmageddon <laughs> is excellent. That's, that's pure dad joke pun territory, and I love it. Um, but yeah, the, the, the should we should we get the negatives out of the way before we sort of talk about the positives? Or uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I well, I'm gonna I'll touch on briefly my sort of viewpoint of Arman animation films recently. That's a good idea. Um, because obviously they're responsible for things like the Wallace and Gromit series. They're yeah. responsible for Curse the Were-Rabbit, which is an amazing film. I, I still think it's one of the greatest animated features of, of all time. Either Chicken Run was great. Chicken Run is brilliant. And, and, and the thing about Aardman is that they're, all, they're always derivative of other works, but it's, it's very it's very tongue-in-cheek. Like Curse the Were-Rabbit is... The closest thing we've had to a Hammer horror movie since the 1970s. Yeah, um, Chicken Run is a remake of The Great Escape, mm. um, and it's 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 very it's very much a loving homage, and it's always tongue in cheek. 
Like, speaking at the audience, like um, in similar veins to like more successful. I'm, I should stop name dropping the Simpsons, really. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and it's the same with, with Farmageddon. It's 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 not it's 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 a loving, um, a loving homage to a lot a number of great um, sci-fi products. I mean, like 2001's heavily riffed on, along with Close Encounters, the third car in Alien, Alien is it? Yeah, obviously. Um, but no, th- those earlier films you mentioned are incredible. Um, I don't know about you, but last years I've been a bit disappointed about by Ardman's output. I really didn't take to Early Man. Yeah, Early Man, I I was very put off Ardman through Early Man, and that's not and that's not to derive the, the hard work that's going to the films. It was just this. I think there was so much potential there for Early Man to actually have a fun animation. I mean, because Cave Caveman animations at the time were being popular you had the good dinosaur you had the crudes, crudes yeah that was so it was kind of like yeah this is another take on it but this is Armin, this is british animation so you know you you went in there expecting well you know again it's like uh, brilliant puns yeah like, wonderful play uh plus sort of playful homages to all these you know things like you know a million years bc that kind of yeah know, kind of nonsense um my problem with early man is that the marketing um presented a very different film to what we got a football match. Yeah, the, the the first twenty minutes of Early Man are, f- are fantastic and genuinely hilarious. And just watching again, it's odd, Ardman <laughs> making a caveman story. You kind of you kind of get what you kind of get what you feel like you're going to get in your mind. Yeah. Did, did, did what I just said make sense? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, but you went in there with certain expectations, and then after twenty minutes, the film subverted, and it becomes. It, you realise they're not actually in prehistoric age. You're in the sort of early Bronze Age. Yeah, and that they, these these this tribe have just been left behind by society, and it becomes a football match. Yeah, with Tom Hiddleston playing. Um, uh, using a ridiculous French accent, sort of John Cleese style, uh, <laughs> to the point where we'll see even the point of getting Tom Hiddleston to play this role. When it's, uh, it's, Eddie Redmayne was in it as well. He plays the main. He's the main guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's actually quite right if, if he was effective. But the, yeah, that just watching an hour of football, claymation football, was painful. Yeah, even even if I enjoy watching football games, it's like to be honest, it's like. It's not. It's not something that meshes well. <laughs> just, just ignoring what we're talking about. Like, as you're, you're probably more football fan than I am. I'm more of a casual fan. Has there ever been a football film that's been entertaining in the history of cinema? Uh, goal I'm, free, obviously. <laughs> I did see the first goal at the cinema, but that I saw that for free because I was working at oh, the cinema at the Zidane. time. I haven't seen Zidane. It's meant to be very good. Um, that's a documentary. So that's a documentary. Count, like. But yeah, the ones I think of, I haven't seen Escape to Victory. Oh ha- God, Escape to Victory. I haven't seen, I haven't seen. <laughs> right, we're going to make a football movie set in World War Two. Stallone. And we're going to cast Stallone, Pelé and Michael Caine. And like, yeah, what's the story? I don't know. <laughs> Just the- football match. Um, what else? Uh, I mean, there are, there are football themed films. Actually, that- I, I would say Kez is, is very good and Bend It Like Beckham. Like- I haven't seen Bend It Like Beckham. FIFA Pitch. Haven't seen that. No. Uh, isn't, yeah, Fever Pitch, that's Nicholas Horn. I think that was a Nick Hornby uh, adaptation. Uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. But and there's also go- Mean Machine with Jason Statham oh. and Vinnie Jones. God. Or Green Street with. Uh- <laughs> oh, that's more about hooliganism yeah. rather than football. So. But can we generally agree that football movies aren't, aren't well known I- for being particularly high quality? Yeah, I think the only I think the only film in that list that's really kind of elevated is probably Bend It Like Beckham and Kez, I'd say. But that's the kind of yeah. 
Foot, foot, that's more of a t- fight. It's not really a football movie, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but, but no, they, they, Early Man, I found, was a real disappointment, especially the fact that you know, it's Nick, Nick Park. Yeah. You got, like, I absolutely adore. And just, despite the fact that I did, really didn't, didn't take to Early Man, I could still appreciate the, the, the craftsmanship. Yeah. Like, like you were saying just now, like, um, yeah, it's, it, it, the, the, the visuals are incredible. And it's the same with... Um, I find with the Shaun the Sheep movies... They're kind of they're somewhere in between. Yeah, it's um they're not great, but they're not bad. Um, they're tailored more, I think, to a younger audience. But there yeah. is but there is enough for an adult audience like ourselves to enjoy. Because I mean, the the, the the film is littered with Easter eggs. Like, oh, not, absolutely! Not, not just the film references, just the, the set, everything. There's a if there's a job opportunity for a joke, it's there. Like that, the, you know, they they have a secret base which is hidden as a car wash, and at one point the the, the car wash sign falls down, and there's a sign underneath it saying "secret base." <laughs> and I I love jokes like that. I love the fact that all the the sort of FBI men in black esque agents that all wearing these yellow biohazard suits, all of them to the point where they can't even drink their cups of tea. Yeah, <laughs> and just, just it's kind of relentless. These wonderful little gags, like you know, even the story is not that great. I'm still, I'm still laughing and I'm still entertained. Mm. Um, Sean is a delightful character. I mean, like, oddly enough, Sean is a bit. I didn't find Sean as endearing in this as I did in, say, the first Sean the Sheep movie, or even um, uh, uh, Close Shave. Mm. I mean, Close Shave is one of the most incredible... I mean, obviously, it's a short form, but it's one of the most incredible movies out there. The whole end sequence with Preston, the evil cyber dog. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, and just seeing all the sheep on the motorcycle. Oh, yes, the, yeah. uh, yes, the pyramid. The pyramid. I mean, um, yeah, the, those those... Those incredible Ardman moments, which do carry over into um, Chicken Rodden and um, Curse of the Were-Rabbit, they're kind of missing from this. Um, there isn't a moment in this film where I'm amazed. Um, but I, am, I was entertained, and I, I, did, en- I did enjoy it. Um, but yeah, it just never, never sort of caught those heights. Okay. Would, you, would, you say, would you say you had the same, same thoughts? Or? Yeah, I mean, considering I, I really do enjoy Wallace and Gromit and Chicken Run, um, I think story-wise, it's very... It's very safe. It's very by the numbers. You can basically read the beats as they come along. So. Yeah, I, 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 within five minutes, I knew exactly what was going to happen and was accurate <laughs> entirely. Yeah. You- it's, it's something I probably wouldn't mind watching again. Even if it's just something on in the background, I wouldn't mind watching it again. It's, it's very simple. It's very... I'm not saying simple in a, in a derogatory way. I'm just saying it's a very simple, basic... A to B animation, which you can really just lose yourself in. And yeah. you, and, and it, it doesn't ask much of you. You just enjoy the silliness. And yeah, I, I got caught up in the silliness. So it's to, to that degree, I, I was perfectly happy with Farmageddon. Mm. Is it an animation masterpiece? No. No. Not, not in the slightest. But you know what? There's, it, is a, it is a satisfactory animated film, which I think would do well for families if they're looking for something to watch. I mean, I, I still, I, I think it's, I, I completely agree with your sentiments. I, I, I still, I still think it's better than a lot of the output, sort of the dross that DreamWorks knocks out. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's like an average Pixar movie. It tends to be better than most animations, but because you know they're capable of doing so much more. It feels, it feels deflating. It yes. feels, it feels, 
it feels less than stellar. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I, I really, I, I was entertained by it. I don't know if I would go out of my way to watch it again, to be honest. I, I, thought, I thought the first one was better. Well, what I liked about the first Shaun the Sheep movie is it went in a direction I, I couldn't guess. Um, the, the, the various subplots, the, um, <laughs> especially with the, the farmer character, who is a, I do love the farmer and I do love his dog, Blitzer, I think the name's the dog. Um, yeah, the, the, their story arc in the first movie is, is kind of, if you haven't watched it, it's, it's a little bit out there and it involves an amnesia plot and becoming a world-renowned hairstylist. And it's, 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 it's not, yeah, it, it's, it's, I was not expecting that film. And I appreciated that. I liked the fact that I couldn't second guess it. With this, like I just said, it, I, I knew exactly where this movie was going. I, I really, I mean, I, I, I like I liked the character design. I, I think Lula, the alien, is adorable. Mm. A little bit, it feels a little bit designed for toys. Like, yeah, I can imagine. I, I, yeah. Yeah, but it, it's still, it's, 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 um, it is adorable. Um, more so than the sheep, which is interesting. Um, I do like the fact again that the sh- all the sheep have their own characters. I, I like I like the dog Blitzer. I think I think his attempts to control the sheep by like no insta- frisbee, no, no frisbee, hu- no human cannonballing, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just installing this unnecessary level of bureaucracy around the farm. I thought that was quite amusing. Um, just the ultimate killjoy, <laughs> and the, 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 the farmer just being quite greedy and trying to um, get as much money out of this like. Um, early on there's a crop circle in his farm and he immediately thinks all right and it just puts up a 20 pound entry sign to his to his uh, alien themed theme park oh and it's when he when he defaces it and turns it to 30 when he realizes more people there i just thought that's funny that's funny so that yeah i mean i, I think it, the film is let down by its plot as we've said but the the gags do hit the the visuals are fantastic i like the characters but it's it's just we know ardman can do better yeah yeah, and in and in that mind, with a star rating, I'm quite comfortable to give this three. Yeah, I was I was tempted four just because I, the claymation is is amazing, like um, but yeah, I'm I'd say for me, I'm I'm three and a half. Okay, so how how does it? Well, if you're three and a half and I'm three, that still kind of makes it free. Yeah, we yeah. say free, free yeah. stars. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's free. It's three stars, and you can now watch Sean the Sheep Farmageddon on Amazon Prime. Right, let's move on to one more review, and let's talk about the personal history of David Copperfield. Here's a clip. Whether I turn out to be the hero of my own story, or whether that station will be held by anybody else, these moments must show. My boyhood days seem now like a scarcely believable fiction. London is full of wonders and wickedness. And it's ours, David, to go wherever we choose. Well, I'm not down there. Creditors make that road impossible. Two tailors and a most unreasonable muffin man. Copperfield! Your mama is ill. How old is she? Very ill. Very ill. Very ill. Very ill. Dangerously ill. She's dead. Right, so this is Amando Inucci's modern take on the classic Charles Dickens novel about a young orphan, David Copperfield, who is able to triumph over the many obstacles that crop up in his life. Now, this is obviously a story that has been adapted many, 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 many times yep. on TV and in film and, and so forth. So I kind of, it's like, I'm not that well, I'm not that well versed in Charles Dickens' works. Um, I know the basics. Obviously, things like Oliver, I know, I know full well. Yeah, or film. Christmas carols. Yeah, that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, but I haven't read them as books. 
but I feel like I, I have the gist of what the stories are and, and the basic sort of rhythm and the story plots points. And I think that's the same with uh, David Copperfield. I kind of think, I'm, am I right in thinking, now this is, this is me um, pondering, because um, over last summer, I really got into the BBC radio comedy uh, Bleak Expectations. Okay. Which is, it's, it's like a Charles Dickens story, and it's about orphan boy Pip Bin who sort of rises <laughs> to prompt, who sort of goes through the most horrible of experiences. So is, is it like an exaggerated parody of Dickens? I thing? believe so, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean it's Dickens, the books are bleak, mm. but they are f- filled with humour. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, was, it was a satirist. Um, so, that, that yeah, the, Charles Dickens was very funny. Mm. Um, and it's, it's interesting because like... Um, when I first heard Amanda Yanichi was producing this film, um, I was quite excited because it felt like he seemed like the perfect filmmaker for the kind of stories that Dickens tells. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially coming off after the death of Stalin, which was one of my favourite films of that year, I, I really, really took to the death of Stalin. Um, this, and I, I'm a big fan of his work anyway. From the day to day onwards, I'm a huge fan. Um, but this, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I've, I was very disappointed in this film. Um, I, um, I don't think he caught the essence of Dickens in this story. It just felt like a strangely flat and diluted episode of the thick of it, with characters dressed in Victorian garb. Um, yeah, I, that's a fair observation. I, I mean, what was? I mean, what was your take with the film? Um, I didn't mind it, to be honest. Um, I was expecting something a little bit more, to yeah. be perfectly honest. But it, there's still the the typical sort of thick of it style humour there, um, and they've just kind of applied it to the world of Dickings. But I, I, that's the thing that the the, the the elements of the story, the the sort of Inucci elements that have been infused in the Dickens story, I don't think they work very well. And I I didn't find myself laughing at all at this. I didn't find it funny. Um, at all, nothing. I mean, I found it more awkward and just strange. Like, um, like even 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 actors who are like, I mean, like it's it's the casting's interesting. I mean, like this is um, it's a blind blind color. It's casting. a it is color blind. Oh, color blind casting. So it's you, I, I wasn't you're more I'm more used to this in theatre. So like Hamilton's probably a good example, or like a lot of recent Royal Shakespeare productions. So like, I was inter- I was interested in seeing the performances going into this. Um, but I, in general, I think the film is quite miscast. I don't think I don't think the a- many of the actors, aside from Hugh Laurie, I didn't f- I wasn't convinced by any of the performances. It all felt just like I don't know. I, I didn't even even someone like Peter Capaldi. I'm a huge fan of. Um, didn't I just didn't take to him in the role at all. I think he played um, was it Mr. Dick? He played a uh, Hugh Laurie. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Dick. Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, that's the only one I really took to. Mm. Um, even even again, like I'm a huge fan of Paul Whitehouse, and I thought he was just kind of samey. It was kind of. I'll be. I think the way I would describe appearances by actors like Paul Whitehouse in this is more like window dressing. Yeah, they were there and for, and their, and for being their sake. Yeah, it's just they needed they needed they needed a body. They needed someone just reliable. There you go. I, 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 did you want to make the point about? 
Yeah. So um, before we carry on, um, obviously we've 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 mentioned colorblind casting. Now, for anyone listening who's unsure what this is, this is non-traditional casting, integrated casting, or blind casting. It's the practice of casting without considering the actor's ethnicity, skin color, body shape, sex, and or gender. Yeah. Um, which is is I feel in the in the current climate things I think is something that's really good to have in films i mean it opens i mean one way i look at it especially with the david copperfield it opens the the story up to probably new audiences who wouldn't necessarily uh be attracted to a film because i can imagine an all white english cast as usual for david copperfield i've only ever seen only white cast for for most dickens actually to be honest i can't off the top of my head i can't think of a dickens adaptation that had any people of color yeah I feel audiences are probably more drawn to this version because of the diverse cast, because you've got actors like Dev Patel, who's coming off his Oscar win for Lion. Well, I, I will say that, I, although I'm critical of the casting in general, not, um, I actually think Dave Patel is, does a fine job. Mm. I think he's actually quite good in this. Um, I just don't think he's working. I don't think he's got a lot to work with. Um, Actually, I would say Dave Patel and Tilda Swinton are the only two performances that I I, I enjoyed. I think Hugh Laurie was Hugh Laurie was right the right casting, but kind of underutilized. I was quite fascinated with the Mister Dick character a lot more, especially the whole sort of thing about his fascination with Charles the First. Yes, and and the thoughts just popping into his head, and and how can he elevate himself? How can he um, free himself? of the sort of troublesome thoughts of Charles I. Yeah. And I, li- and I liked the whole sequence of them grabbing a kite and going out to, to fly. I thought it was really sweet. But I, I don't know. But, those, but I think moments like that in the film are few and far between. Yeah, I mean, look, there was some, there's some inventive filmmaking. Uh, it, it, in some ways, this film, I thought, was quite reminiscent of Michael Winterbottom's um, A Cock and Ball Story. Oh, okay. Which was... Um, a, a, that's a film I put. I put that as more as the interesting camp, as opposed to being a particular good movie. Mm. Um, it's a, a film that did something interesting with classic material, and I, I think Amanda um, Nucci tried attempts this, like some of the um, some of the interesting cuts, like the hand coming through the set, and then you like. It's, it's, I don't know. There's a there's a strange sense of magical realism throughout this film that kind of gets undermined by itself, um, and I think, I think the problem. This film, I think my biggest problem with this film, because I couldn't quite put my finger on it whilst I was watching it, but I just felt like there was something off, is that the, the novel was huge. It's mm. nearly a thousand pages long. And this film is too short. It's too short at two hours long. I feel like rather than focusing on certain elements of the story, Amanda Yonichi has decided I am going to fit everything into this. And it moves at a bit of a breakneck pace mm. to the point where... There is no chance to sort of stop and breathe and actually take in what I'm watching. I, there, I mean, one of the, one of the major themes in the novel and, and, and the film, obviously, is is um, abuse of children in the workplace. And at no point did I feel as though um, David Copperfield's experiences in the workshop were particularly abusive. They're quite brief. They're very brief. I didn't. It didn't feel like a sweat, a Victorian sweatshop at all. Um, it just kind of, it almost felt like a sort of a laddie fun time, which is really odd to me that, that, that kind of, that, that, that element of the story wasn't caught, um, at all. Um, but that, that's probably because it's, it's, we only, we only spent about three, four minutes in that entire plot line. <laughs> and that's a major element of the story. Um, so by the time that, um, David Copperfield is an adult and he's, he's moved on to, um, to, um, move beyond that part of his life 
we, we're not really emotionally invested in him or, or any of the characters that surround him, to be honest. And I think it's just a consequence of the pacing. It's, it's, it feels a bit more like a sketch show. Sort of like, more, more like the fast show, going back to Paul Whitehouse. It's like, scene, 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 scene. Something happens, something happens, something happens. And I never really feel like I get to know the characters, their motivations, who they are, what they do. Just, just stuff happens at a stupidly fast pace. Mm. And I just wish the film was either bit longer and it took time with it took time to tell the story it's trying to tell or it focused on different aspects of the of the narrative because i i tell you what i just i i, I there was a lot in this movie and i didn't take i didn't care for any of it okay that's fair um yeah i think the breakneck i mean on one side i didn't mind the breakneck pace but i can understand your point of if you're adapting a book as big as David Copperfield, you need to give, you need to give room for characters to breathe because some characters pop up and then they're gone and you don't understand how why they're so important to the story in the first place. Yeah, um, well, it's like uh, you were saying that all the, all, the, all the casting is window dressing and it's it's a waste of great talent. I mean, like um, Benedict Wong, he's just kind of like a one line joke. Yeah, it's like it's just a waste. I think Gwendolyn Christie, she gets a she gets a bit of a more bit of a I don't know. She I like even... I like the fact because um, Gwendolyn Christie plays uh, the sister of Murdstone, who is played by uh, Darren Boyd. Yes, and they are both tall actors, and I loved <laughs> and I loved the fact they were playing on the tallness in their scenes. Mm. Well, that's, that's the thing. again, there's, there's, there's interesting visual mm. um, visual language used throughout the film, and um, but it's, it's a problem for me. It's just it's always story, story, story. Mm. It's like if, if the story doesn't work, then everything else is going to fall apart. It doesn't matter if you have this fantastic cast list, like um, you know, and a great director. And it's, it's yeah, I just I think that my problems with the film are with the story. Mm. I think on reflection with. The personal history of David Copperfield. I don't regret watching it. I think, I think, yeah, I think, as I said earlier, I was expecting something a bit more from Amanda Anucci. I can see people, I can see other viewers or other fans of his work taken to this quite nicely. Um, but probably it's a, it's a one and done for me, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I'll probably stick to things like Death of Starling, Thick of It, or even In the Loop, to, for that matter, as well. Yeah, In the Loop is very good. Um, so it's kind of like I don't I don't regret my two hours. I think the, I it's like I think it was a moder- it was a decent length for me. Um, it's just yeah I think um, it's kind of like the abridged non-stop whiz bang tour of uh, of a Dickens classic, and I think some Dickens uh, fans will probably not like that. I I'd imagine fans like Dickens fans would probably not take to this movie at all. Mm. Like um, plus. I don't want it to be. I don't want it to sound disrespectful to the work of of all the other people that have done Dickens adaptations. But how many more times do you need a David Copperfield adaptation? Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, obviously, I think the selling point the selling point of this adaptation is clearly the casting, yes, and and the filmmakers involved. So I can understand that too. I can perfectly understand that they were, they were doing something new, something different, something new, with something yeah. that's been done, like 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 Shakespeare like live Shakespeare does it has a similar approach because how many more times can you do Shakespeare yeah <laughs> yeah and it's like um, I think we mentioned previously on the show it's like the Coen brothers are working on a version of Beth with Denzel Washington Ooh, and, that, and that's, that's a, interesting and that's a vision I go oh okay I think the, 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 the casting was interesting and I was, I was excited to see what these performers 
brought to the role, but I just don't think they were giving much to work with, which is a real shame. Mm. Uh, again, I, I think Dave Patel, he, he does an admirable job, but he has, he has an actual charm and charisma that sort of like cuts across this anyway, I felt, but not enough to make me entirely compelled. I, I, I'm, I'm, treading, I'm treading the same points here. But. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, there's, I think there's not much to really dive into i think any any further on on david copperfield i think i think if you're interested give it a whirl make your own mind up do let us know your thoughts on that on film raw at bunkerzilla.co.uk um but i think for us it's like yeah we've watched it it's probably not one we're going to revisit yeah so star rating i'm gonna be i'm oh i'm it's like it's like I do I, like I said I do like little bits of this film I really do and I think on that level the most I can give it is two and a half I was tempted to give it two so, so it's going to be two isn't it I think about it should we say two well yeah we, well, we did 3.5 and 3 yeah, to 3 yep. yeah no, that's, that's fine <laughs> yep. so, it, it, so if I if I declare that made it three then yep it declares it's two here so but like I said I think the, the two star rating is is, is more to do with our expectations of the film and probably how we receive the film. It's not necessarily a, a statement of saying this film is poor. It's just... Should it, be better. It's just... Yeah. It was, it was, I found it personally quite disappointing. And um, I, I, I don't think people are going to take to it. Mm. Um, that's just my, that's my thought. So, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. And we'll leave it there so we're coming to the end of this episode of Film Raw thank you very much for listening hope you enjoyed the episode do let us know your thoughts as always on the reviews and the news covered in the episode by dropping us an email over at filmraw at bunkerzilla.co.uk and don't forget you can also follow us on Facebook Twitter and Twitch and Instagram all with the <laughs> magic word Bunkerzilla UK all one magic word is that, is that all the social media that's all the social media all the social media all the time like and smoke signal and morse code yep bunks in the uk that's the word yep yes so until next time thank you once again for listening i've been ian bolton and i've been joined by christian r allen sayonara stay safe and keep it cinematic <laughs>